Hi everybody, Jeff here. Wanted to touch base with y'all about something that's so important to me and Michelle. As we enter our second lockdown, and as holiday season kicks into gear, we wanted to ask you once again to be mindful of where you spend your money. There are so many small independent businesses here in San Francisco in the Bay Area that could really use your support, now perhaps more than ever. We know how convenient big box stores and national delivery services can be, but they're gonna do just fine without us. It's our brothers and sisters here at home who need us to shop local, to keep food on our neighbors' tables, and to uplift our own community right here. And we have a great way for you to start. We're partnering with a new nonprofit started by SF students called Supply Hope Info. I mentioned them in the last podcast, but now I'd like you to hear directly from Susanna Lau and Lana Nguyen. Hello, everyone. I am Susanna Lau. And I am Lana Nguyen. And we are the co-founders of Supply Hope Info. We started Supply Hope Info when SFUSD called for distance learning, and as low-income students ourselves having relied on resources from our school, Supply Hope Info was created to provide resources to other students who might not have access to them at home. So far, we have supported 1,700 students. A majority of our focus is on the Bay Area. However, with such a strong support system from the community, we have been able to extend our impacts to California and even around the globe. We have worked to donate to Rose Haven in Oregon, Macau True Goodwill General Association, and many other organizations that support the underserved community. Supply Hope Info has been mentioned by Jennifer Newsom and featured by outlets such as SFGate and KTSF26. For more ways to support us and our students, please visit our GoFundMe page or feel free to donate physical supplies to us by emailing us first. Even as simple as sharing our links can go a long way. Thank you for listening to our story. And thanks to Stort San Francisco for supporting us. Okay, back to the show. It was great to have been born and raised in San Francisco. So to bring it back together, because this is a city, city that accepts cultures, differences, uh, differences of opinion, and, and to a certain extent, uh, I felt embraced. That was Real City Ambassadors host, Rodrigo Duran. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. I met Rodrigo when he asked me to be on his show, which I was beyond honored to do. In this podcast, Rodrigo shares the story of his parents, both of whom immigrated to the U.S. from Mexico. They met in the mission where Rodrigo and his siblings were born. After a brief stay in Jalisco, Mexico with his relatives when he was five, Rodrigo returned to San Francisco and went to school in Chinatown. His early life is the story of Aztec dancing, multicultural acceptance and inclusion, and an appreciation of the city and all it has to offer a family like his. Please join us Thursday for part two. Here's Rodrigo. So my dad came to San Francisco in the late 70s. He was born and raised in Mexico City. Okay. Uh, At the time, 
the whole city was up in turmoil. I was going to say, interesting time to move here. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it happened in the late 60s, but it still kind of uh, followed through to the next decade. And he was heavily involved in, in like, uh, political rallies and activism at school. Um, Did he come here for school? No, not oh, okay. at all. No, no. He back in Mexico. Back in Mexico, Got yeah. It. He was heavily involved. Um, the turning point was, and he was like maybe 18 by then, 1920, was uh, he was, he started a rally and it got so big that they managed to close the whole school down oh, wow. in Mexico City, he and his, his friends. Um, then the government sent out like troops of hooligans, right? to knock down the doors and they just started shooting at everyone. Mm. So my dad saw a friend of him just get shot at Jeez. almost in front of him. He managed to get away. And from there on, he was like, well, I'm like disillusioned. Like the whole movement is kind of falling apart. The government doesn't support us. And I'm not even into school. I'm just, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Is what he said. Can I ask quickly, yeah. which, what movement was he part of? Well, just, uh, you know, like, a. The revolutionary movement in, in in Mexico City. It's a very progressive, liberal city, mm-hmm. so that the the atmosphere was like that, and he was part of it. Um, and this was, but this the... one six. This wasn't '68. During you know 1968, like the La, La Matanza, um, he was at, 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 in his roof because they lived close to downtown or El Centro. Mm-hmm. So he and his siblings saw as the tanks were coming in. Jeez. That was in 68, so he was younger. Right. But, you know, um, as he grew older, he got more politically involved. Right. So, yeah, he just didn't know what he was going to do with his life. So he, one day he told my grandma that he was just going to go travel, travel up north. Eventually, he's like, no, I'm actually going to the U.S. So then my dad leaves, and there's a little funny story, like... My grandma just passed away a year ago. I'm sorry. That, uh, yeah, that um, she, as the day, days passed by, every time she saw a plane, she would, like, do the, the cross sign. Every plane, every plane. My dad took a bus. He didn't have to fly a plane. He took a bus. And he did get, have, like, a student visa, so he, was, man, he managed to make it over here. Okay. But, uh, yeah, he landed first in L.A. Mind you, he didn't know anyone over here. He didn't have family over here. And uh, traveling alone, not with friends? Or? No, by himself. Okay. He made it out by himself. Okay. Um, he was homeless in LA, um, he lived on the streets and, uh, a Guatemalan buddy told him from folks that he met, like, Hey, there's a lot of work in San Francisco. You know, my dad's name is Francisco. So he was like, Oh, maybe that's an omen, right? This is probably the place I have to go. And so that's how he ended up in San Francisco was through word of mouth, loved the city. And he decided he wanted to stay here. So okay. that's my dad's story. Did you, have you ever talked to him about? what the city was like for him when he arrived um vibrant i mean to say the least yeah he was into the the lowrider culture nice um but he's a funny uh, he was like a, he was a he was a misfit within the lowrider culture and what i mean okay. by that it's like the lowrider culture is always like a second generation latino mexicano chicano right right and my dad's fresh out of, like you're fresh from from the border and like speaking only Spanish, so he would be playing like Mexican rancheras and corridos in his lowrider while everyone's playing like boogie nights and like right. you know all kinds of funk music. But right. then my dad obviously loved the music in general. Yeah. yeah. But uh, that was his scene for a bit was the lowrider scene. So he lived on Alabama and yeah, it was dangerous. There was a lot of movement happening down in Alabama in terms of drugs. 
But, you know, within, in that whole atmosphere, there's a lot of love. There's a lot of good people. And um, he felt welcome. He was welcomed not only by the Mexican community, but the Central American community. Okay. Probably more by the Central American community because within Mexico, um, if you're from Mexico City, there's a stigma. Mm. You know, you're a Chilango and, you know, they mm. think bad about you. Uh, you do all kinds of deals and you hustle people. Right. Uh, so there was that stigma because there weren't a lot of people from Mexico City at the time. Right. They are all from, like, northern central Mexico. Okay. And so he actually uh, really bonded with, like, Nicaraguenses uh, mainly and then uh, Guatemalans, Puerto Ricans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, then again, it's San Francisco. There's a lot of Mexican-Americans. So mm-hmm. that was kind of his circle. Okay. Just kind of growing up. Well, not growing up, but living here in the beginning mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Uh, my mom's story is completely different. It's like the complete opposite. All right. She's from a small town in the state of Jalisco. Okay. And my family members of my grandfather had gone up north to the U.S., through the Bracero program, okay. right, 40s, 50s, uh, but none of her immediate family. And then eventually, um, like in the, also like in the 80s, early 80s, um, he he came to the U.S., uh, my grandfather. Okay. Um, that's a whole story in and of itself, but he made it here, was, at, was here for a bit, and then decided to bring my mom, who's the oldest of 10. Oh, okay, wow. Yeah. So at the time, the she's, oldest overall or uh, the oldest girl, the oldest overall of 10. OK, wow. Um, so she's 15. Um, they were really living through poverty. Like there's different types of poverty, right? Sure. It's all relative. Like sure. my dad was also living through poverty, like in a more in an urban setting with like <laughs> vecindades being like uh, like projects, basically. Right. So Services that, and, and whatnot. Yeah, you can say that. So it was a different type of poverty. Like my dad like didn't have to eat sometimes. So you just make, you get a tortilla, you put salt, or you get like a piece of bread and you put a banana and like that's all you ate for two meals, for example. Right. Just as, in my mom's case, it was a different type of poverty because it's rural. Mm. And it's a small town in the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, everyone was poor too. So for her, it was like, eating freaking pumpkin for months oh wow and she hates pumpkin now (laughs) right she would not touch pumpkin because of that um so there was that deep set of poverty wearing sick clothes like so she saw it and she wanted to to leave um and so she did and that was the most exciting thing that had ever happened to my mom's life being 15 like holy shit i just got accepted to the olympics yeah like i'm gonna cross the border right and so my mom so it ends up being my grandpa my uncle and my mom. Okay. They go up. Was it your mom and your uncle's choice? Or was your grandfather like, it was my you guys grandma. are going? Oh, your grandma? Oh, my grandma is the one. She's the <laughs> Get out of shaker. here. Yeah. She was like selling all the cows and we, they, were, they were running out of stock. Okay. Like livestock to sell in order to pay the coyote. Because my grandpa had been deported like two or three times. So it's a lot of money. Yeah. But this time they're like, we just, we just got to do it. We're, we're just, we're going to go broke. So let's do it. So they go, and there's a story where, like, my mom, um, they're waiting right at the border. There's, like, a little hill, and they're, they're like, kind of, like, waiting there, and they can't cross because there's a lot of border patrol. So Mm -hmm. they end up sleeping uh, and staying there overnight. And at, like, 5 in the morning, they were awakened by sprinklers because they were, like, the farmer was there. So they, like, they were, like, all running around, kind of getting all their stuff together. They picked up some food. And they decide, okay, I, like, we gotta get the fuck out. We're soaked, we're drenched, we're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So my mom says, um, 
she uh, saw the the uh, the border and the wall and something got into her and she just started climbing and as she climbed down she like ripped part of her dress mm -hmm. and they got caught and um, all the luggage got mixed up and my grandpa ended up getting my mom's luggage and as they going through customs or like the border patrol <laughs> they open the luggage and they look at my grandpa like yo <laughs> what are you wearing out here so he's like blushing and like my mom's laughing but it's not a laughable moment but you know she found like like joy in that so they move over here they end up finding a way to to coming back um and yeah so she started working at 15 to, to sustain a, a family of 10 down there and did they come to San Francisco or? Yeah. So they knew of San because my grandpa had been to San Francisco, had already. relatives that have known, had known San Francisco. Okay. So he had already uh, like a support system. Yeah. Um, and a base. And so my mom started working. Uh, she was a, like a nanny. And um, yeah, my parents both met here. Was that around the yeah. same time that your dad moved, late 70s? Yeah, so my mom was in the 80s, my dad was like oh, 80s. 70s, um, okay. but they met here in South San Francisco. Um, Do you know where? Do you know that yeah, story? Well, yeah, it's, well, I don't know the exact place, I just know there's a tortilleria, tortilla spot in South San Francisco, and my mom was uh, working there, uh -huh. and uh, a guy that my mom was working with knew my dad, and then my dad would pick up the, the homie, and then we'd see my mom. So my dad would come in as a lowrider and like try to impress and flex and whatnot. Yes. And so that's kind of how it started. And then my mom ended up working at El Farolito. Oh. Right here, El Faro on... Uh, oh, Faro on Folsom. The one on Folsom and Folsom 20th. Folsom 20th, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's where she then started working. And then it was closer to my dad because he lived on Alabama. Right. So that that's kind of how they hit it off. Their worlds just kept yep. crisscrossing. Yep, yep, and, yep. Uh, so then... Do you know who pursued who? Oh, my dad for sure yeah, yeah my dad yeah. yeah i know you're like so, he's still pursuing to this day <laughs> no actually they, they actually they're separated they're okay 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 they, and then like goes to show like man they had i don't know i mean they fell in love uh but they came from two very distinct worlds right right that's what i was gonna ask and about and, and and it played a big part as they grew together and then had family like mm -hmm. my brothers so i'm a, we're four okay and uh i think a lot of those there were different values um, and then just the love gets lost somewhere and eventually now they just, they parted ways. My dad lives here on 20th and Cap where oh, I, nice. I kind of grew up here in the mission. Yeah. My mom lives in Oakland. Okay. So actually I lied. I have been raised in Oakland as well. Okay. Yeah. So there's been this, like it was, it's been between San Francisco, Oakland and Mexico. Cool. That's kind of been like the trifecta. Yeah. So when you, uh, when you were born, would did they have a place over here in the mission or? Yeah, so at the time I was, I believe it was somewhere in Guerrero. Okay. Like 19th and Guerrero. So we must be talking like your very, very early years. Yeah, but you like know, I don't remember the early years because right. um, I, my older brother, so he's 34. Okay. And then I have a younger sister who's 29. We were sent to live in Mexico, okay. in my mom's small town. Um, I still don't even know the real reason. It could have been like what was happening with their marriage. It could have been economic or they just, or and or they, their dream was always to go back to Mexico. Right. Like a lot of immigrants, mm -hmm. especially Mexicans, because they're so close. Mm -hmm. um, their dream is to make money here 
and then invest over there. So they Got bought it. they bought a house over there. They were looking at uh, you know starting a business. This was in Hil- in Jalisco. In Jalisco, where your mom's from. Yeah, where okay. my mom's from. They, Got it. They, my dad and my mom, they were married. That was the goal. Okay. And then to eventually buy a house in Guadalajara, which they did. So they they were really building. They were dreaming of building a life in Mexico. Right on. So they sent us there, and I was five. And I lived there for about a year and a half. You must remember. That. So that's the, my first memories are yeah. in like little town Mexico. Okay. Uh, where I was just like running around, killing lizards. Sorry, anyone out do. there that's As you, do. you know yeah. killing lizards, like yeah. learning how to how to like ride bulls and, and and horses. I fell off a horse. So a lot of my 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 first memories were there, and then I moved back to to San Francisco. Okay. Um, when I was about six and a half. Were you raised bilingual or? Yeah, yeah. Um, Funny that you mentioned bilingualism. The reason we came back was because at the time, what was that, 1995, 6, there's propositions here in California where we're talking about, well, first, you know, uh, uh, banning bilingualism in schools. And then second, there was a fear of, like, stripping away citizenship from uh, children that were born here of immigrant families which so is my, totally illegal well it's still happening right so then my yes. mom was fearful and brought us back again because Got of it. that and she so so yeah so we came back so we and we were raised in a bilingual household mm-hmm. i would say i would i mean both of them did but my dad was the one that emphasized to to make he always re-emphasized to speak spanish at home mm-hmm. um and then I think what helped was also our upbringing here. Um, my dad, when my bro- older brother was born, got involved in um, the Aztec dance community. Okay. Um, and so there's a photo of my mom pregnant with me. So I was born in July, and this was in May. So seven. Of 80, 89? 89. Okay. Um, on a float with her Aztec dance regalia and like pregnant with me and um, so that's another side story of my relationship with Carnival San Francisco right and now I work there which is full circle right so my dad has been part of the Aztec dance community which is really it's a small niche (laughs) of folks that you know uh, really not only encourage but they their lifestyles around preserving culture cultures before you know the hispanic the the spanish conquest but with that came like this uh pride in just your language pride in what you look like uh pride and and that's really deep in the latino community because my dad is super brown dark skinned mexican Mm -hmm. Uh, my mom is super white light skin Mm. like amiga right here (laughs) yeah like but you know and then there's that whole like uh you know colorism in mexico Mm -hmm. and and then you add the American culture to the mix, and you end up with people that are lost. Right. Not only are they lost within the American culture, but they're lost within their Mexican culture. Right. Because they don't really know where they are, period. First of all, because of two borders. And second of all, because they don't understand uh, the, the racial tensions that exist. Because mm-hmm. something you don't speak about. Right. Um, but it was always spoken at home. Okay. Like, like you know... Oh, you know, when you look at someone that's dark skin, you associate them with dumb. That's usually how people mm. in Mexico perceive them, or, or, or poor, or X, Y, and Z. Right. 
you know, acknowledge that and know that that exists. And right. then when you see something like this, how do you perceive that? So, you know, my dad was always, uh, and, and the, the Aztec dance community was always um, one that challenged certain norms that, that were... That uh, were prevalent. Prevalent and that stigmatized people yeah. of color. Right. Right. So would you say you were sort of raised in that more accepting and cultural, accepting of cultural diversity? Yeah. Yeah. Like we're all here, but we're all of these different cultures and we're from different places. Yeah. And it, it was a, it was a, it's been a crazy experience. And I say that because, um, you know, you grow up thinking how normal you are. Right. And then as I went to middle school and then high school, I, I wasn't Catholic. Right. You know, I was never baptized. Okay. You know, and that's a lot. That means a lot to in the Mexican culture. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're like, oh, you're not baptized. So you must be seventh day Adventist and you're waiting to be 16 years old. Or like, no, no, I'm not Christian. Okay. Like this is this, uh, like, I don't have a religion per se, mm -hmm. but it's a spiritual, uh, practice, you know, mm -hmm. closer to Buddhism. You can say it's like mm -hmm. a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so it was so hard for me to then realize that, no, I was brought up differently as well. Right. Um, and, and, and then, you know, had I not had uh, a really good uh, sense of who I am and where I come from, I could have been lost as well. <laughs> it's, right. It's like, where do I fit in? So much that my mom once said, as I like 20 something years old, she's like, Mijo, I wish you were Christian. Mm. And she, and uh, cause then she, she, her family's, it's, it's a mix. They're Catholic. She, she's Christian. Seventh-day Christian. Adventist. Okay. Got it. And sometimes Catholic. It's a mix, right? So it's Well, crazy. you mentioned 10 kids. So I yeah. was like, they yeah. gotta be Catholic. They're, they're all Catholic. They're actually <laughs> yeah. Christian. Seventh-day. Okay. That's another, another enchilada. Yeah. But <laughs> what my mom said was like, I wish you were Christian. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? It's like, well, it's going to be harder when you try to get married. Okay. And it's, it's true. Okay. Right? Because I don't have any upbringing on like what it's like to be a Catholic or a Seventh Day or Baptist or so on and so forth. So it did play a role sometimes finding someone that could accept my values because I can accept others' values. Maybe because of being like the minority, you just learn to adapt mm. and, and accept. Mm -hmm. But the majority, uh, even Catholicism and Christianity, is like, that was another thing I had to navigate as an old, as an adult. Right. I didn't think about it, but then, you know, so it was great to have been born and raised in San Francisco to, to bring it back together yes. because this is a city, city that accepts cultures, differences, uh, differences of opinion. And, and to a certain extent, uh, I felt embraced right. in the mission. Right. Uh, because I did see Aztec dancers parade down like Carnival or at different ceremonies. So I saw myself reflected on folks that were doing something that was normalized in the mission. So I didn't feel like an outcast completely, even when I went to study in San Diego and when I left the country. I knew where I was from and I knew the value that, that, that I had, thanks to San Francisco and the mission. And would you say pretty much your entire life you felt that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. from the beginning. Yeah, from the beginning. Yeah. So let's go back to, um, you're born in 89, so, and uh, around five or so, you went to Mexico. Yeah. Um, let's talk about coming back. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you have any memories of that? So coming back to like <laughs> mid-90s, 
yeah. San Francisco. Yeah. Because there must have been a little contrast, or little, I was going to say a little contrast, a contrast in your little mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meaning you were young. No. Your was, mind was not little. It, no, that's okay. It was a mind fuck. And I say this because. Right? We, there was a contrast. He, well, here it goes. We show up in the middle of the school year. And we moved to the mission, and all the schools here were full, the ones in the mission that were pr predominantly Latino. Mm -hmm. And the, the only school that would take us was in Chinatown. Okay. So I went to, back then it was called Commodore Stockton, and then wh while I was there, it was renamed Gordon J. Lau. So it's in the, the heart of Chinatown mm -hmm. on Grant, okay. I believe. And, and so... My first day of school after coming from Mexico, basically, I mean, I, I was placed in the bilingual program, but everyone's Chinese, basically. Right. right. There's one classroom, and we all kind of graduated to the next like school year together for, because we were the only Latinos there. And so that was another culture shock on top of like, now I have to speak English. Um, and the other kids are speaking and Cantonese. Cantonese, and, yeah. yeah, mainly Cantonese. So I was like, what's going on you know what i mean so i had to learn real quick how to say thank you please and fuck you yeah in cantonese you know so i can gain the respect yeah and appreciate it but you know needless to say like i had a really good experience there because again you know we celebrated chinese new year lunar new year right um and so i was exposed to, to yeah, another that, culture another culture yeah and then i saw a lot of the the values in that culture with i never i'll never forget for um like Hispanic Heritage Month, um, uh, my dad came to perform oh. in Chinatown uh, to represent the Latinos. Nice. So that 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 was a, a huge sense of pride to see my father, you know, being acknowledged right mm -hmm. in 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 a in a in a predominantly Chinese school, and then you know we always in, in a lot of Aztec dance group they do a. The, the, the friendship dance, La Danza de la Amistad, where, you know, you, you create a circle and, and, and the, like, the main dancer is showing them steps. Mm. And so there I am seeing my, my peers, Latino, and then mainly Chinese, coming together in a circle nice. and then doing a dance around and creating these beautiful figures and just really joining in in, in celebration of culture. So cool. So I feel really blessed and privileged when I say I'm San Franciscan. Because I've I've gone to experience some points. I can't say all of them because, well, and I envy those. That, I know some folks that really really have been. You're uh, working on your buy nine get one free card. <laughs> but yeah, you're forgiven. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and so that was my experience in elementary school, learning some Cantonese. Can I ask how you still lived over here? Yeah. In the mission. Yeah. So we took a bus. Did you take me any? No, no. Okay. Uh, there was a school bus, bus, a school bus, school bus. that okay. picked us up on twenty. Where Moscone is right now on twentieth and uh, what is it? Twentieth and Harrison, twenty-first and Harrison. Okay. Um, that was a crazy ride. I remember it. I think it was a mainly. It was like a black lady that picked us up, mm -hmm. and she was always tuning into the freshest jam that she shouldn't oh, have because yeah. it had all the you know the dmx the you know the 400 degrees all the hip-hop hits were hitting like oh, yeah. the thong song totally. she would blast it and we we're like we don't i'm four fifth like what is this <laughs> yeah. thong yeah. song and she was just drive so quickly you know maybe she, i don't know why but she <laughs> we get there and um 
I remember that fondly, uh, just taking the, the, the bus uh, to school and back. Did you, uh, as a kid at, at any of these early ages, like elementary school, maybe middle school, did you and your maybe your friends or your siblings, did y'all get around town? Did you go like to different parts of town? Did you go downtown? Not, no. You did most of your stuff, like you hung out in the mission. No. No. <laughs> yes and no. Um, so through um, Astic Dance, um, my dad would travel a lot and he oh. would take us with him. So oh. when it wasn't, but you're right, in San Francisco, it was mainly the mission. Okay. And the only times when we weren't in the mission in San Francisco was for an Aztec dance performance. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we'd be in the Bayview, sometimes we'd be in downtown, and we were just like popcorning throughout the city performing. And then other times it'd be like in Sacramento, you know, and we'd go as far south as Los Angeles, San Diego, because they have ceremonies and performances, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, my experience growing up wasn't only in the mission, it was all over the place, but in little, little spaces, mainly like, Indigenous, Native American, Mexican. Nice. Yeah, spaces all throughout. And were you performing with yeah. your dad? Yeah, yeah, Okay. No, it was the I whole thing. I don't think I knew that. A, it right. was the whole thing. Um, all of us had our, our little regalia with feathers yeah. and, you know, half-naked dancing under the sun. Yeah. Um, and it's not until I got older that I, I like, really appreciated and, and, and right. saw the value in, in learning, fi knowing what it's like to be thirsty, for example. Hmm. You know, we take for granted that we have water right here and that we can, I can drink it right now. But right. when it comes to a ceremony, you can't just grab water whenever you want. You really have to wait after two hours, maybe if they pass water or fruit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you, you know, you just come to realize some of the privileges that, that people have in general, right? Just water, for example, um, being tired, you know, um, and then, but then always like, feeling accomplished, uh, whether it be a 20-minute performance or a three-hour ceremony under the sun, um, you feel accomplished when you finish something. So Fulfill, Fulfillment? Oh, yeah. Sense of yeah. fulfillment. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that was really like my upbringing. That was Rodrigo Duran. On the next episode of Story San Francisco... Rodrigo will talk about his time in Brazil, as well as his return to the city, and his work with Calle 24 Latino Cultural District. Please join us for part two on Thursday. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfett. The show is hosted and produced by me. Michelle and I have produced more than 130 episodes over the last three years and you can find them all at our website, storiedsf.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you can like, comment, and share the stuff we put out. Find the podcast just about everywhere you can listen, including, most recently, BFF.fm's new podcast network. Please subscribe to stay up to date on all the content we publish. We love feedback, so if you have any, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay healthy. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.fm podcast network. 
Learn more at podcast.bff.fm. BFF.fm, best frequencies forever.